Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening. My name is Christopher C. Dvorak, MD, from the Division of Pediatric Allergy, Immunology, and Bone Marrow Transplantation at the University of California, San Francisco, in San Francisco, California. The title of my talk is TATMA, State of the Art for Diagnosis and Treatment. I have a conflict of interest in that I have received consulting fees from Alexion Incorporated and Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Transplant-associated thrombotic microangiopathy, TATMA, is an endothelial damage syndrome that is increasingly identified as a complication of both autologous and allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation, HCT, in children and adults. The pathophysiology of TATMA is complex, resulting from a cycle of activation of endothelial cells to produce a procoagulant state, along with activation of antigen-presenting cells and lymphocytes, as well as activation of the complement cascade and microthrombi formation. If not promptly diagnosed and treated, TATMA can lead to significant morbidity, uh, for example, permanent renal injury or mortality. However, as the recognition of the early stages of TATMA may be difficult, we propose a TATMA triad of hypertension, thrombocytopenia, or platelet transfusion refractoriness, and elevated lactate dehydrogenase, LDH. While not diagnostic on its own, this triad should prompt further evaluation for TATMA. Risk factors for the development of TATMA are increasingly understood, including those which are inherent, for example, race and genetics, transplant approach-related, for example, second transplant use of HLA mismatched donors, and related to post-transplant events, for example, receipt of calcineurin inhibitors, development of graft-versus-host disease, or certain infections. These are summarized in the three-hit hypothesis in which patients with either an underlying predisposition to complement activation or pre-existing endothelial injury, HIT-1, undergo a toxic conditioning regimen causing endothelial injury, HIT-2, and then additional insults are triggered by medications, alloreactivity, infections, and or antibodies, HIT-3. Understanding this cycle of injury permits the development of a specific TATMA treatment algorithm designed to treat both the triggers and the drivers of the endothelial injury. Transplant-associated thrombotic microangiopathy, TATMA, is an increasingly recognized complication of both autologous and allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation, HCT, in children. Due to the differing diagnostic criteria, the incidence of transplant-associated TMA is poorly defined, but likely ranges from 10 to 35 percent. Currently, the best criteria for pediatric patients are those proposed by Jodell et al., it is widely agreed that patients who develop TATMA have significantly higher rates of transplant-related mortality. Globally, TATMA fits into the general classification of atypical hemolytic uremic syndromes, uh, or AHUS, as complement has shown to play a major role in the pathophysiology of this disorder. Because treatments differ greatly, 
a first step towards treating an HCT patient with suspected TATMA is to rule out thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura uh, by documenting normal levels greater than 10% of ADAM TS13 and normal von Willebrand's factor VWF multimers, as well as classic uh, HUS due to shigatoxid-producing E. coli. So given the rarity of these conditions in HCT recipients, further evaluation and management of the more common TATMA should proceed simultaneously. The pathophysiology of the vascular endothelial injury found in patients with TATMA is extremely complex, but can be simplistically broken down into three major pathways. One, injury caused by conditioning or GVHD prophylaxis agents leads to activation of endothelial cells to produce a procoagulant state. Two, activated endothelial cells also cause activation of antigen-presenting cells, macrophages and neutrophils, and lymphocytes. Three, the immunologic response causes activation of the alternative and classical complement cascades. The end sum of these pathways is the death of endothelial cells and microthrombi formation. In pediatric patients, TATMA typically occurs early post-allogeneic transplant with a median diagnosis at 35 to 47 days post-HCT and 88 to 92% occurring before day 100. However, cases have been reported up to two years post-HCT. Autologous recipients may develop TATMA even earlier with a median of 18 days post-HCT. The Jodel criteria requires five of the following seven abnormalities hypertension, thrombocytopenia, anemia, elevated LDH, schistocytes, proteinuria, and elevated soluble C5B9. Not all features appear simultaneously, and in retrospect, it is often easy to appreciate that subclinical TATMA has been developing for days, if not weeks, prior to the official diagnosis. Hypertension is often the first clinical sign of impending TATMA, typically preceding formal diagnosis by a week or more. As hypertension is very common post-HCT, especially in patients receiving calcineurin inhibitors, or CNIs, a rule of thumb in the pediatric HCT recipient is to suspect TATMA whenever a patient requires one additional antihypertensive medication beyond what is typical for the patient's clinical situation. The other clinical features, including thrombocytopenia, especially platelet transfusion refractoriness, as also seen in sinusoidal obstruction syndrome, elevated LDH, proteinuria, anemia, and falling haptoglobin begin to appear shortly thereafter. All institutions should strongly consider monitoring routinely LDH twice weekly for the first 100 days post-transplant in high-risk patients. As the typical first three signs to manifest, hypertension, thrombocytopenia, and elevated LDH can be considered the TATMA triad akin to the uh, SOS classic triad of hepatomegaly, weight gain, and elevated bilirubin. While the hallmark of TATMA is kidney involvement, it is important to recognize that other organs may also be compromised in TATMA, especially the gastrointestinal tract manifested as abdominal pain, nausea, bleeding, and ileus, cirrhosal surfaces manifested as pericardial and pleural effusions, the cardiopulmonary system manifested as pulmonary arterial hypertension, and the neurologic system manifested as confusion, headaches, and seizures. Although rarely needed, biopsy of the kidney, gastrointestinal tract, or lung can be diagnostic. Another useful marker not part of current criteria is fibrin D-dimers, 
a sign of intravascular clot formation and breakdown, which is an extremely sensitive, albeit nonspecific, marker for active TATMA, such that its absence should prompt consideration of alternative causes for the patient's clinical signs and symptoms. When D-dimers are elevated, disseminated intravascular coagulation should be ruled out with assessment for prolongation other coagulation tests, such as the PT and PTT. Conversely, while theoretically pathognomonic for microangiopathic hemolysis, large number of schistocytes on a peripheral blood smear are often absent in pediatric patients and therefore should not be relied upon to verify the diagnosis of TATMA. The other major differential diagnoses are autoimmune hemolytic anemia excluded via a Coombs test and sinusoidal obstruction syndrome of the liver. The latter syndrome may overlap with TATMA. However, coagulation studies and liver ultrasound can usually distinguish SOS. Overall, few diseases in HCT patients fully mimic the entire picture of TATMA, and therefore, in at-risk patients, which will be discussed later, the development of associated signs and symptoms should be considered TATMA until proven otherwise. Serum complement membrane attack complex also known as soluble C5B9 levels, may be elevated due to terminal complement activation. And if so, the patient is at increased risk of death from TATMA. So this test can serve as a marker for patients who should be strongly considered for treatment with complement blockade. When complement blockade is utilized, undetectable CH50 levels are a marker of efficacy. Testing for mutations in complement genes may be useful when determining length of complement blockade therapy if used. While primary atypical HUS occurring outside of the setting of HCT is typically mediated by gain-of-function mutations in genes encoding complement or by deficiencies in genes responsible for complement regulatory proteins, 65% of TATMA patients will have one or more benign variants in complement genes detected. Especially in the allogeneic setting, numerous risk factors for TATMA have been identified. Inherent risk factors include genetic predisposition to excessive complement activation and baseline endothelial injury due to recent prior HCT or recent calcineurin exposure, such as is in patients with severe aplastic anemia. Transplant approach-associated risk factors include the use of HLA mismatch donors, peripheral blood stem cells, and minor ABO mismatch donors since blood group A and B antigens are expressed on endothelial cells. The use of myeloblative conditioning is associated with higher rates of TATMA compared to reduced intensity or RIC regimens. However, specific components of conditioning that, which are more, most responsible remain to be worked out. Total body radiation, or TBI, has been linked to development of TATMA, as have fludarabine metabolites. Post Transplant event risk factors include the use of CNIs, such as cyclosporin and tacrolimus, especially when given in combination with sirolimus. Acute graft-host disease is tightly associated with the development of TATMA, and elevations in ST2, a marker of endothelial injury, may link TATMA as a form of endothelial graft-host disease. The development of certain infections post-HCT have been associated with increased TATMA, including bacteremia, likely mediated by the release of neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs, into the vasculature, fungal infections, especially aspergillus, and viral infections such as CMV, HHV6, and BK virus. An analysis of the aforementioned risk factors for the development of TATMA lends support to a three-hit hypothesis. 
in patients with either an underlying predisposition to complement activation, for example, racial or genetic, or a pre-existing endothelial injury, for example, prior myeloblative transplant or prolonged calcineurin inhibitor use in severe aplastic anemia, HIT-1. Further endothelial injury is mediated by the delivery of a toxic conditioning regimen, HIT-2. Additional events perpetuate continued endothelial injury and represent a threshold level for triggering activation of the complement system. This can be caused by medication toxicity, calcineurin inhibitors or sirolimus, alloreactivity, GVHD, infectious, bacterial, viral, antibody-mediated, or some combination of all of these, HIT-3. Patients with TATMA require adjunctive treatment. For hypertension, ACE inhibitors or angiotensin II receptor agonists may be preferred. Both packed red blood cells and platelet units contain plasma with significant amounts of complement. Therefore, transfusions in patients undergoing complement blockade may be counterproductive and should be limited as much as possible. Patients with significant renal injury from TATMA may be erythropoietin or EPO deficient, and careful administration of exogenous EPO to support reticulocytosis should be considered. Various therapies have been considered for TATMA, but overall survival rates remain worse than for the general population of post-HCT patients without TATMA. A treatment algorithm can aid in standardizing the approach to treatment, with a key feature being that the various triggers of TATMA must be recognized in treatment, as the manifestations are unlikely to resolve until these triggers have also been brought under control. For example, number one, if the patient is actively infected, all efforts to control the infection should be made. Two, if the patient has active graft-versus-host disease, it should be brought under control, potentially with agents targeting cytokine pathways also implicated in the TATMA pathway, such as tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin-1. Three, patients may have subclinical GVHD or excessive inflammation driving endothelial injury, and corticosteroids may play a role in dampening this inflammation. Four, if the patient is on a calcineurin inhibitor or sirolimus, it should be rapidly discontinued and replaced with alternative uh, anti-GVHD agents, such as corticosteroids, mycophenolate mofetil, or IL-2 blockers. Discontinuing or changing the GVHD drug does not always reliably resolve TATMA. However, if caught early, this strategy may be sufficient for some patients. Five, if a patient could have an autoantibody against factor H or other endothelial proteins driving the pathophysiology of their TMA, they might benefit from therapeutic plasma exchange, or TPE, in combination with blockade of further production via administration of rituximab, given immediately after a TPE session. However, most TATMA patients do not have an autoantibody and drive minimal benefit from TPE sessions. Six, if the patient has proteinuria or an elevated soluble C5B9 level, they should be strongly considered for treatment with terminal complement blockade, while patients with both should generally be started on treatment. Eculizumab is a monoclonal antibody against C5 that prevents formation of the MAC complex. In patients with elevated soluble C5B9 levels, use of eculizumab is associated with significantly improved overall survival compared to untreated controls, 56 versus 9% with a p-value of 0.003 in a single-center retrospective study. Withdrawal of complement blockade can typically be accomplished once all hematologic manifestations of the disease, 
for example, thrombocytopenia, anemia, elevated LDH, elevated D-dimers, and low haptoglobin have resolved. Renal manifestations of the disease, for example, hypertension, creatinine elevation, and proteinuria are less useful as markers of when to discontinue therapy as they may remain permanently abnormal in the setting of significant renal injury. A typical TATMA patient who discontinues complement blockade will not have recurrence of symptoms. However, if patients continue to have potential triggers of endothelial injury or complement activation, then complement blockade should generally be continued until that trigger is no longer present. Seven, finally, if after two to three weeks, the patient is not demonstrating hematologic response to the intervention, reconsideration of active triggers must be considered. Other potential experimental options include coversin, a recombinant C5 inhibitor, OMS721, a human monoclonal antibody inhibiting mannin-binding lectin-associated serine protease 2, soluble thrombomodulin, and defibrotide. There is currently no proven method to prevent the development of TATMA. Potential approaches include improving baseline endothelial health with agents such as vitamin D or EPA, limiting or repairing endothelial injury from conditioning via individualized dosing of conditioning agents, limiting uric acid elevation with allopurinol, administering defibrotide, statins, or N-acetylcysteine, or limiting the third hit with calcineurin inhibitor-free GBHD prophylaxis, improved graft-resistance prophylaxis regimens with agents such as abatacept, improved antimicrobial prophylaxis with agents such as latirmavir or brinsidofavir, and prophylactic rituximab. In conclusion, TATMA is the end result of a complex pathophysiologic injury to the endothelium in predisposed patients mediated by a combination of conditioning-induced injury and a third hit from medications such as calcineurin inhibitors, graft-versus-host disease, infections, or antibodies. Given the current diagnostic limitations, a high index of suspicion must be maintained, especially in high-risk patients during the highest risk time period post-transplant, approximately 21 to 100 days. The clinical TATMA triad of hypertension, requiring one more antihypertensive than expected for the clinical situation, thrombocytopenia, especially platelet transfusion refractoriness, and elevated LDH should be constantly kept in mind. Once TATMA is diagnosed, a simple treatment algorithm can help guide the combination of interventions required to halt further progression of endothelial injury and allow the healing process to commence. In the future, one or more agents may potentially help improve baseline endothelial health and limit endothelial from injury from both conditioning and the third hit. You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks was performed by the Art Topolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Topolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.